So welcome to uh, this edition of the uh, ATS Breathe Easy podcast. Uh, I am very excited today to have Dr. Lourdes uh, Deloroso. Uh, she is a sleep specialist, pediatric sleep specialist uh, at the University of Washington Seattle Children's Hospital uh, and is uh, very well known and extremely well published in pediatric sleep and uh, we asked her on here today because I really wanted to talk to her today about a, an article she just published a few months ago uh, in the journal Sleep, Restless Sleep Disorder in Children, uh, a pilot study on a tentative new diagnostic category. Uh, so welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much, David. I'm very excited and appreciative that, to be here to share about our findings. So uh so this this article that you guys just published really got uh, my attention got a lot of my partners attention as a really exciting new idea. So tell me what made you do this uh study? What were you looking for? What were you expecting to find? Uh kind of what was the rationale? Well, over the years in pediatric sleep medicine, I experienced uh, a few to several parents that would come to clinic complaining that their children were restless sleepers. And I didn't find many tools to help them. Often we even went to the extreme to do a sleep study and there weren't any specific characteristics that would help us um, with these children. What it was really interesting is in the few months before the study, I started noticing in my in my clinic, in, in actually the, the schedule, a few patients schedule for restless sleep. And when I would talk to the parents, they would say, well, I, I specifically remember a parent who would say, I have five children, doctor, and there is something not right with this one. This child trashes the bed, moves everywhere, and then they're tired. He's tired during the day. He is not really doing that well in school, and I am convinced that it has to do with his sleep. So that was, I specifically remember that family, and that was the key to say, well, we, we really need to look into this. You know, and I, that is a story that I think we've all kind of heard. You know, I see that in my clinic as well, that they come in, there's something wrong with their sleep. They're just not getting good quality sleep. They're all over the bed. You know, maybe mm-hmm. we do the sleep study. There's no sleep apnea. There's no PLMD. But the parent is saying, gosh, they just move a lot. They can't be sleeping well. And uh, then kind of feel stuck in that situation. So, exactly. so how, does that, uh, how does that relate to this article that, that you guys just published? So we started um, a database of children that would have restless sleep and had um, no other no other um, medical problems or any explanations. So what we did is we started uh, having a database of, of parents that would complain that their children had a lot of motor activity at night during sleep, that they were trashing the bed sheets or even falling out of bed. And that um, they the movements were often so they would be like it doesn't matter what time of the night I walk in they're in a different position or they're still moving or or they just it didn't really matter what night or what time of the night and that they did not really complain of 
problems falling asleep or waking up through the night. So it wasn't even something that we were concerned about insomnia or anything. No, there was no problem going to bed. There was no frequent nocturnal awakenings. But then there were significant interference with either daytime function, either sleepiness or school performance or hyperactivity or irritability, not at the level of a diagnosis of ADHD, but they would say, well, he's just not himself. He's a little cranky or a little irritable. And those children we included in our cohort, and we excluded um also children, well, we excluded really young children because they weren't able to verbalize if they had discomfort on their legs or if there was um, any any other uh, discomfort. So we included children at six years or older, and we excluded any child that had a medication that could be responsible for hypermotor activities such as antihistamines or antidepressants or significant um, comorbid conditions such as if they had obstructive sleep apnea or if they had frequent night terrors, or even children who were known to have behavioral insomnia of childhood, we did not include um, anxiety, eczema, children um, that were neurodevelopmentally delayed, or um, genetic syndrome. So we, we had a very, very pure, small sample, about 15 children that what we call the restless sleepers. So um, it, it was a small sample, but it was very poor with, with very minimal confounders. So you had a very nice uh, kind of tight group. Uh, what were your main findings? So it was really interesting because we um, first wanted to collect the clinical data, of course, uh, what were what, what was the characteristics, daytime and nighttime characteristics. And because I didn't really know what I was dealing with, was that uh, something to, to, to deal with leg motor activation? I did collect also uh, iron studies and ferritin in all the children, and we did sleep studies in all of them. And what it was really interesting was that we found out that the children um, did indeed have um, a lot of motor activity. Like uh, in terms of clinical features, so, so what we did was we compared the children with restless sleep with children with known restless leg syndrome and with a group of controls that did not have any sleep complaints or daytime symptoms. And what we did is we did clinical features and uh, iron studies and polysomnographic data. And what we found out was that in terms of clinical features, there was no difference in the symptoms. They all had daytime sleepiness or some behavioral problems or fatigue in terms of the restless sleepers and the children with restless leg syndrome. But they did have um, more motor activity in terms of large body movements, that they were more like repositionings. It wasn't leg kicks or leg discomforts. And they didn't really wake up as much as the children with restless leg syndrome. And all of this, of course, was significant different from our controls that didn't have any symptoms. When we did the sleep studies, we also found out that, interestingly, interestingly enough, the children with restless sleep did have disturbed sleep, so the total sleep time was diminished at the same degree as the restless leg syndrome children, and also they had um, more awakenings per hour than our controls. So the sleep efficiency, even though it did not quite hit statistically significant, was lower. Um, the average sleep efficiency in our controls was 88% and in our restless uh, sleepers was 80.9% um, and in restless leg syndrome was 81.7. But this discomfort, this, this sleep disruption was not associated with leg movements because the restless leg syndrome children had an average 
leg movement index of 22, and our restless sleepers did not. It, it had the same leg movement index as our controls. And similarly for our PLM index was uh, higher. So, so those were our findings. Our findings yeah. in, in in our in our study. So and and I think everybody who takes care of kids who have sleep problems identify with what you're talking about uh, and see these kids all the time. I think the challenge and gosh, the question I ask myself is, you know, we get this great history of the restless sleeper and, and some daytime symptoms that are, uh, symptoms that are associated with that. Is there some objective finding that we can use on the sleep study or uh, that could help us uh, tell the family this is an abnormal amount of movement, uh, even kind of beyond the PLM index that has its own limitations. Uh, but, you know, that could help differentiate normal from abnormal amount of movement to help make this this new diagnosis of restless sleep disorder. Or are we kind of re solely relying on uh, the, the story the family is telling us, uh, much like restless leg syndrome, uh, so is, are there some markers that we can use, or uh, uh, is that to come? So w what we concluded in this study was that the disruptive sleep was not associated with the leg muscle activity, and that opened our curiosity to say, well, how are they moving? Is this really a parental perception, or is this real, or are they just moving at the beginning of the night or later at night? So that led us to the next uh, study, which is uh, currently under review and hopefully accepted for publication really soon, in which we've done video characterization of the movement disorders in these children, and we watched the videos of all the sleep studies and characterized the movement movements, the time of the movement, the length, the time at night, the sleep stage, and what kind of movement was it? Was it a total body movement or an upper extremity or only an axial head movement? So that that study is going to be really interesting, and I'm really looking forward to seeing it published. Well, that is exciting, and I will well, I'll be keeping an eye out for that, and hopefully that will be coming out soon. And uh Give us some more information. Uh, is there anything else uh, that you learned from this study or uh, that you'd like to share with our listeners today, or uh, uh, have we covered most of it? Well, I, I think that there's still that we're learning about pediatric sleep medicine, and I consider our part, our parents the best um, history that we can take. So I think the, the learning point of my study was when we listen to the parent, when the parent has a, a concern about the sleep, even if it hasn't been published yet, to really pay attention. We're still a small community, so contacting each other, networking, trying to um, collect data, um, I think that's that's very important. Yes, and you're uh, very uh, kind in that. About <laughs> two days after this came out, I had sent you about three emails saying, oh, my goodness. This, uh, no, I really appreciate it. <laughs> it, was, it. It was great. I really, uh, really appreciate it. And I, I, I think it's very important because now we probably have an answer to say, yes, this, these children are indeed uh, more restless than other children. And now the next step also would be to see how much is this really affecting and do more uh, formal cognitive or behavioral tests. And my last question for you is, okay, let's, uh, you know, let's say this gets formally codified and this is going to be a new sleep disorder, uh, hopefully. Uh, how in the world do we treat this? Do we treat this uh, the same as RLS PLMD? How do we, how do we treat this? Well, in this first paper, we did iron studies on all the children, and the iron levels, the ferritin levels were quite low. They were in an average of 20. And um, I guess 
you know that that was the only tool that we have so far. So we have been supplementing iron in these children with uh, anecdotal uh, successful stories, but we need to do further studies to actually assess this. And I've only focused on iron so far, but I'm sure that there would be other options to study. Excellent. Uh, Dr. Del Rosso, uh, thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, we very much appreciate it, and uh, we look forward to uh, more publications from you as they come out. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's, it's been a pleasure to be here, and thank you for the opportunity.